Morning, Laura. So this is topic 29, uh, análisis y articulación del discurso, cohesión y coherencia, anáfora y catáfora, los conectores y de Ixis. So, uh, one, discourse and discourse analysis, some terminological issues. What is discourse? The term discourse analysis was first used in 1952 by Zelig Harris as the name for a method for the analysis of connected speech or writing. The definition of the term has evolved substantially since Harris first used it and there continues to be a lot of lack of consensus as to what exactly constitute discourse and discourse analysis. Throughout this unit, we will mainly follow two authors, each of them in turn drink from different sources. Uh, those two authors are Alba Juez and Widdowson. According to Deborah Schifrin, quoted in uh, Alba Juez 2009, this course is viewed as utterances, that is, units of linguistic production, whether spoken or written, which are inherently contextualized. Widowsong and Cook draw a distinction between text and discourse. The former is seen as a correctly built and semantically meaningful verbal utterance produced by addresses and presented to addressees either orally or in writing. In order for a text to become discourse, it would need to be congruent as well. Widowsong and Cook see text as a product and discourse as a process. That is, they see discourse as the multiplicity of factors, linguistic, social, psychological and cultural, which are both cause and effect of the text. According to them, all discourse is text, but not all texts are discourses. In any case, for all the authors mentioned above, it seems that the aims for discourse analysis necessarily includes syntactic, semantic and pragmatic aspects. In other words, it becomes crucial to study the context in which the utterance takes place. It also seems important to point out how DA goes, discourse analysis I mean, goes beyond the level of the sentence and sets as its aim to study the internal organization of sentences, the so-called intrasentential cohesion, the relation between sentences, intersentential cohesion, and the overall meaning and value of sentence sets, the coherence. Cohesion. The term cohesion refers to the formal organization of the sentences that constitute a piece of discourse, both internal organization within sentences and external, the ways in which different sentences are linked together. Intrasentential cohesion. Intrasentential cohesion may be seen as the result of the English language observing a series of inbuilt principles. These principles, which are largely of a psychological nature, are responsible for the standard organization of language units in terms of the generalized and marked template. We will see there are several ways in which this template can be flouted, producing marked discourse segments which deviate with respect to the unmarked template. 
The canonical template of English discourse is manifested in the form of the theme ring sequences. Theme is the initial part of an utterance seen from an international point of view, informa informational point of view. Sorry, themes are normally unmarked. It is they do not contain the main informational contents of the utterance. There is obviously always some degree of informational contents in unmarked themes. The word I indicates we are going to refer to ourselves. Do normally indicates we are dealing with a question, etc. It seems, though, that unmarked themes act as framing structures with respect to what is coming later on in the utterance. They verbalize the given information of the sentence rather than the new information. Given information is the one that fits in best with our previously psychological or cultural assumptions, schemata, context of culture, or simply with the sentence which precedes the sentence in question, the context. Rim is the non-initial part of an utterance seen from an informational point of view. Canonical rings are normally marked, they contain the main informational contents of the utterance. This is the so-called principle of end focus, which refers to the tendency in English to put new information towards the end of the sentence, which is a position of prominence. I brought Pelayo a book, a book is the prominent element. I brought a book for Pelayo, for Pelayo is the prominent element. The principle tends to correlate with the principle of end weight, which refers to the tendency in English to, to, to reserve the final parts of a clause or sentence for the more complex or weightier elements. The tall, elegant, rich kid whom you met on Gascona last Thursday evening is here. Here's the tall, elegant, rich kid whom you met on Gascona last Thursday evening. Both sentences feel awkward, but the second one is probably more natural than the first one due to the principle of end weight. The empty theme full ring principle of sentence organization is so strong that the language tends to react against possible flautings of the principle by trying to avoid them, even if doing so implies sentence rearrangement. This is what explains the existence of the so-called cleft, pseudo-cleft and existential there sentences, among other mechanisms for rearrangement of units within the sentence. We'll see how the theme-ring principle is both maintained and flouted in the cases, in the cases mentioned above. In cleft sentences, an empty theme is activated. This empty theme consists of it, followed by a form of to be and a relative closed structure. This way we can start our sentence with given unmarked information and immediately focus on any sentence unit. Olaya Pedro saw at the party. It was Olaya that Pedro, Pedro saw at the party. It was <coughs> at the party that Pedro saw Olaya. In pseudo-cleft sentences, our intention is to focus on the verbal phrase. In order to do that, we will use what as the initial element of a nominal relative clause. What happened was that Pedro saw Olaya at the party. In existential there sentences, an empty there is used as the initial and marked sentence theme. One cabin was in the meadow. There was one cabin in the meadow. 
In all three cases, they derive sentences are more canonical and expressive than the base sentences. Oops. Yep. Uh, however, the overall demands of this course are so strong that some of its segments must be marked to such an extent that the given new template is actually flouted. When this happens, the ream will be forced into occupying an unexpected position, the initial or thematic position. The initial element of the utterance, thematized ream, now becomes more than a mere framework. It provides the interlocutor with the most important contents of the utterance from the very start. The result is deviant discourse. It will still be cohesive, otherwise it would not be discourse at all, but also felt a special on reception. Among other devices, simple inversion and some kinds of passive transformation will allow us to flout the unmarked template by deviating, yet not altogether breaking, the principle of intrasentential cohesion. Shocked I was, or as Yoda would put it, or baby Yoda rather, powerful you have become are examples of inversion. Your favorite book has been lost, is an example of a flouting of the canonical template while also serving the purpose of hiding or masking the agent of the action, which is probably the reason why it was flouted in the first place. Intersentational cohesion the devices discussed in the, pre in the previous section, both those that obey the canonical templates and those that flout it, are means of rearranging the internal elements of sentences. But, as we pointed out above, cohesion refers not only to the way in which information within sentences is organized, but also to the ways in which sentences are linked together into a cohesive whole. Following the title of the unit, we will deal with the notion of reference and two of its components, anaphora and cataphora. Reference, anaphora and cataphora. In Alvahuith, words, many terms or expressions used in this course have a referring function. Oh, sorry, I meant in Alvahuith's words, many terms or expressions used in this course have a referring function. Referring expressions cannot be interpreted without making reference to an entity within the text or the context of the utterance. These referring expressions typically include demonstratives and, and indexicals. They, her, that girl, their, my son, singular definite terms, the new tall elegant rich kid, the director of Goodfellas, and proper names, Leonardo DiCaprio, Saul Blanco, etc. Albahuet also points out that some types of reference depend on mutual knowledge, beliefs, and suppositions. The expressions Mael's dad, Isabel's husband, Pablo, Mr. Barrio, the English teacher, Araceli's son, and so on and so forth all refer to the same person. But, well, not necessarily, but well, yeah, we'll assume it, it is the same person. But the use of one or other expression will depend on the addressee's intention and his assumptions about the addressee's knowledge about, in this case, myself. These referring expressions also helps us also help us avoiding repetition as they sometimes substitute for lexical items within the text. 
They ensure meaning continuity while lessening the burden of having to repeat the same lexical item over and over again. Proforms such as he, she, her, them, etc. play an important role here. Referring expressions and the lexical items they substitute for are co-referential, that is, they make a reference to the same entity. The full lexical item is called the referent and the proforms are called the reference. Reference is closely linked to the concepts of anaphora and cataphora. Within a text, referring expressions can only be identified because they point or refer to the referent. There are only two possibilities. If the full form is placed before the proform, we call it anaphora. My friend Peter came late to the show. He is always late. If the full form is placed after the proform, we call it cataphora. Once she knew she was alone, Olaya switched on the lights. Anaphora is the normal, canonical organization of intersentential units, while cataphora is deviant. A cataphoric organization gives the text a rhetorical quality which anaphora does not have. Lexical cohesion. The following devices are used in English to achieve lexical cohesion. Parallel structures, it was late, it was dark, it was cold. Collocation, the habitual company word skip, work hard and tough work, but not have fun, tough. Reiteration of three types, repetition, it was late, it was cold and late. Synonym or near synonym, my friend Pelayo helped me, is one of my best mates. Superordinate, subordinate word. Nora is always with her laptop. I doubt she could live without a computer.